Good morning and welcome to Sunday at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and as we begin this New Year journey together, it is the right time for us to look around and notice that the world is indeed dark and broken in some places. How do we counter that? We do it by following our resurrected Christ who fills us with hope, joy, peace, and love so that we can help to build his kingdom on this earth. So come and join us as we seek to answer our call of the risen Christ. Come on in. first scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable We clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson, radical stuff. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's coming. It's coming. We are reading from the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 4. We are reading familiar verses, which is verses 14 through 21. 
Listen again with fresh ears. Luke 4, 14 through 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So every four years, something happens in this nation we have a presidential election. It's become so fun, hasn't it, friends? The last few cycles? I guess every cycle is contentious in its own way. But once someone is elected, there is an inaugural address. And so I'm gonna give you a little test, a little quiz this morning, and see if you can tell me not just who, who is the first, but then second, if you get the year, you can have an extra cookie out front after worship. It's my promise to you. <clears throat> See who said this, and again, take a guess at a year. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Anyone? Abraham Lincoln, right? And the year? 65. Close, I know, I know. Should be four, but it's not, it's five. But you're close, you're right on, okay? Second one, these two you'll know a little bit uh, it will be more familiar. Focusing on the ears a little harder. Here we go. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert, retreat into advance. Roosevelt, right. FDR, in a year, somebody take a shot. 33, I heard it. Good for y'all, 33, you're on it. And the last one, and so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. That's bad, I'll stop, sorry. Ask what you can do for your country. 
My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of humankind. JFK, year? 61, right, January, inaugural address of 61. Well done, well done, historians. Well, today, in the light of this inaugural addresses that we were talking about, Jesus gives his inaugural address. Now, we are early in Luke's gospel, just in chapter four, but some significant things have happened already. Number one, Jesus was born. That's pretty important. We just celebrated that uh, in both Matthew and Luke's gospel uh, as we came through Christmas. So that's one. Number two, Jesus was baptized. Three, he was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Those temptations that we hear about was there. And here, Jesus comes home, stands in his home church, his home synagogue, and he addresses his people. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the last three I spoke of, both the baptism, the Holy Spirit is an inaugural and a necessary part of what's happening and mentioned prominently. So in Jesus' baptism, what happens? After he's baptized and as he's praying, the sky opens up, spirit descends like a dove, and we hear God's voice, my son with whom I am well pleased. And then the spirit, what, drives Jesus out into the wilderness for those temptations and gives Jesus and helps Jesus with what he needs to be able to sustain those temptations, spirit present. And here we go again. And now Jesus is home. Word is starting to spread, but now he's in his home synagogue. Stands up and the first thing he says Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, filled with the power of the Spirit. So again, three times in a row, these significant stories, it is the Spirit that is enabling these events to occur and even filling Jesus. Jesus doesn't need anybody, does he? Well, he is a part of this Trinitarian understanding. Our lines blur a little bit, but the Spirit fills him and empowers him and leads him as he begins his ministry. So Jesus is with the home crowd. And first, all is well. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Yay, Jesus. We welcome your teaching. Look, that's, that's ours. He grew up at our church. Remember at VBS when little Jesus was running around and pulling ponytails and bit this other kid and that, that's our guy. Look at him now. He's teaching in the synagogues. We are so proud. Now, if it ended there, well, things would be very different. But it doesn't end with Jesus being praised and welcomed by everyone. The very next verse when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on Sabbath day, as was his custom, stood up to read and read from Isaiah. We don't know if it was given to him or he chose this verse. He unrolled the massive scroll and found the place where it was written. And this is from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me 
starts again. What? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, the Holy Spirit. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Anointed, so what do we mean when we say anointed? Anointed can mean many things. Often, the two big times that anointed is used is to heal. So sometimes um, preachers and, and others, when they visit people in the hospital, will use oil when they pray to, as, as a sign of healing. And also, people are anointed when they are set aside for specific service to God. So prophets are anointed to go do special prophet work. If you remember King David, when he was young, he was anointed to be a king in God's stead, in God's tradition, set aside for that special work of being a king. We are all anointed to do the things that we have been called to do. But here, Jesus says, he has anointed me. And don't forget that both Messiah, the word Messiah in Hebrew and Christ in Greek mean what? It means the anointed one. They both mean the same thing. One is in Hebrew, one is Greek. The anointed one. Only Christ can do what Christ is being called to do here and now. Okay, anointed to do what? Bring good news to the poor proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, real quick, what is, what is Isaiah he's reading from? Is he talking about one day the Messiah coming to read these passages and hopefully Isaiah's use of that? Well, no, no. In Isaiah's time, this is what we call third Isaiah, chapters 55 through 66, they were coming back from the physical um, exile of the Babylonian exile. So they were coming home and Isaiah is starting to say, we are going to be ready this time. When we come home, we are going to rebuild the society. We are going to rebuild our culture, our people as it had been destroyed or moved into Babylon. But here, Jesus takes it and uses it as his inaugural address, as his roadmap for why he is here, who he is, and what's going to happen. So I'll walk through that in a minute. So he says that he rolls it up again to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Gives it back to the attendant and sits down. The eyes and all of the congregation were upon him. What were they thinking? What, what did he say? Spirit is upon him? Well, what about us? We're a community. Anointed him. I thought we were called to do things as this synagogue of people. He's me, me, me. And who is this talking? They're looking at him, but they don't know what to think. And then, just to make sure that there is stress, confusion, and upset, Jesus says, uh, and all of this has been fulfilled within your hearing today. Oh, pardon me. Come again. Everything that you just read, right here, baby. Jesus, I'm bringing it. 
No wonder they get upset. No wonder. They were proud of him for a while, as we are when we think of our youth Sundays or when youth are involved in different leadership activities at the church. We are behind them 100%. Whatever happens, we love them, we support them, as they were for Jesus until he started to stir the pot a little bit, until he started to make these grandiose claims of who he was and why he was here. Come on, we know you. Little Jesus, you were just a punk growing up in our synagogue. I remember all that. And now you claim to stand up and have the spirit on you and you're going to do all these things that the Messiah should be doing? I don't think so. And so it becomes blasphemous for them, not just they're confused and they're not sure why he would stand up and say something. It becomes a threat to them. So much so that in the rest of the story, as we know, they all get up and they chase Jesus out of town. They got the torches all burning. They want to throw him over the cliff. And Jesus just kind of in his own quiet way says, I don't have time for this nonsense and kind of slips away through the crowd without them noticing. And he just kind of is not there anymore. So let's take a look at these words and see why it is so difficult. So first, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is one of those places where it reminds us that the presence of God that is with us today is the Holy Spirit. Can we shut that down? You're darn right we can. If we refuse to let the Spirit into our hearts and lives, if we refuse to use the gifts given to us, we refuse to allow ourselves to be convicted, that is, see the things that need to be fixed in ourselves and in others, we can shut that out. We have that power of free will that God gave us. So we wouldn't be robotic clones of faith, but rather come to Christ of our own volition. And when we do, we feel that power, we see that transformation and we allow the Spirit to fill us. This is how Jesus starts. And the amazing thing about all of this is that their eyes were fixed on him. So they're trying to figure out, what, what did we just hear? Not that different than every Sunday when God's word is read and we're thinking, what, what does that mean for me? Is it, was he right? What was the preacher saying? But the important thing I believe is that their eyes were on him and they didn't recognize him as what he had claimed to be. In other words, how many times do we seek the presence of Christ in our life and we do not recognize him as being with us? We look around and say, I don't see any Jesus, I don't see any God, no Holy Spirit working in my life. Well, are you looking? Are you expecting? to see God in our lives. We know that the more that we look and the more that we expect to see God in our world every day yields the truth and the reality of Christ in the spirit with us. On every mission trip worth its salt, at the end of every day, we sit down and we debrief the day and we say, 
at least where did we see God today? Because if we don't go back and pick that up, even on mission trips and retreats where it's easier to feel connected to God, we are liable to forget it and roll right over. Done with the day, let's just move on and think about what's happened tomorrow. But if we stop and we analyze and think about the relationships, the people we came into contact every day, and we think about the situations We think about the checkout person at the store. We think about the people at work that we've interacted with, the people in our group and club or family or the people that we interact with. And we think, was Christ present? How did we see Christ in those places? And the more that you will see that and can start that discipline of recognizing and not like the home people in his synagogue that looked and just dispelled it, away. And we're good at that too. Why? Because if we know that Christ is actively with us, then oh boy, I got to do something about it. I got to respond to that. There are expectations for me in my life. But what we always forget is the joy and transformation that comes when we follow. So number one, look for the presence of Christ in your life every day. Take structured time and re-go back through the day, through the things and places you've been. And the more that you will see, the more you will expect to see, the more you will know that Christ is present in your life. Secondly, these pieces from Isaiah, this is the radical stuff here. Bring good news to the poor. Release of the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, oppress, go free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So let's take it quickly one by one. Bring good news to the poor. What does that mean? Does that just mean the poor who have lack of resources or access to things that they need in their life? I think it is physical, it is spiritual, it is mental. There are so many that the good news of Christ that we all know at least the basics of can make a difference in the life of those who are struggling in some way. Release to the captives. Well, captive to what? There are all kinds of things in this culture, in this world that we are all held captive by. Much of that is our own sin and destructive tendency, rebellious nature. How do we free ourselves through what Christ has done? Recovery of sight to the blind. How often do we think, well, we're good. We're okay. Do my church thing, dip in, dip out. Just like another extracurricular thing and hobby in your life. But what we are blind to is the world that Christ is coming to stir. This life that Christ is coming to turn upside down so that we are partners in helping those that are the weakest, those that are the most oppressed, those who have no voice still in our culture and in our time. There are restrictive systems of this nation and the world Sometimes works in our favor, sometimes does not, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that we are not equal. 
And that's what Christ is saying here. I'm coming to make all things new. I'm going to stir the pot and I need y'all to help me do it. Let the oppressed go free. Proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. This was our understanding of that Jubilee year that every 50 years was kind of a renewal. Debt would be forgiven. If you were um, a servant indebted to one family, you would be let go to rejoin your family. Even the land, the land that was used to grow would be given a year where it wouldn't be touched. It could rest. It could reclaim its nutrients so then it could start fresh again. Renewal, making things equal and starting again. The year of our Lord's favor. We are being called to do all of those things. And when it comes right down to it, we're called to look for where Christ is present in our lives. But number two, ask ourselves these questions as individual Christians and as a church. Where or have I ever brought good news to the poor? Where have or have I ever brought release to those captive to different things? Have I or am I ever helped those who were blind recover sight how have I helped those oppressed in the world? And how have I helped others be renewed by the spirit that fills us? We need to ask those questions as individuals and as a church. Gone is the time where we can sit and be responsive to events in the world. Yes, we need to respond to horrible tragedies, but more so we need to be involved with the systems that separate people and engage in these cycles that we can break as Christians, again, as individuals, as a church, as a body of Christ, as partners with others in the community. We are frozen no more. The Spirit has warned us to do this work. And we are not about just sitting around and receiving. We are now stepping up in this new year, the year of our Lord's favor, to go to the world and to show them what Christian faith looks like, to help those in the most desperate of places. That's where God is calling us as individuals and a church family. And this is where we go with the power and being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's time. So let's go. Hallelujah. Amen.